This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. And I ask you to take your Bibles, please. Would you turn with me to Psalm 115? The 115th Psalm will be going there in just a little while. I was thankful for the testimonies a week ago. I uh, apologize. One of our travelers was sitting in the second row, and I did not see him. He's got a testimony. I hope he'll uh, hold on to that because we'll have another service coming up where all of us can share testimonies, and we want to hear from that brother uh, as well. The testimonies you heard help explain the blessings it was for us May 22nd through June 1st to travel to Greece and Turkey. Renee and I were with 11 others. Uh, there is the group. The food was great. The fellowship was even better. And the, the accommodations, the hotels, it just depended. All right. <laughs> but uh, we spent lots of time together on a travel bus and just had a wonderful time lasting friendships were built and so thankful uh, for these that were able to travel. Special thanks to Alan and Tim Berry, Dennis Turner, who helped get us to the airport at Dulles International and get us back also. COVID made the planning difficult and uncertain, but the Lord brought all those details together. It was a miracle, 13 of us in Thessalonica getting tested for COVID, uh, getting test results back, and everybody being able to get on an airplane the next morning. That, that was a miracle. It really is life-changing to walk in the same places, walk on the same roads where Paul and John walked. To stand in cities where events in the Bible, especially in the book of Acts, where those events took place. The greatest benefit is that a traveler never will see biblical texts the same way. When you've been there, when you see it, when you have that, that image in your mind, uh, it really is life-changing. So I want to follow up by reflecting on, this great, on the greatest lesson that a Christian can learn when traveling to these ancient cities. And here it is. We witnessed... The unlimited power of the gospel over spiritual darkness in the Greco-Roman world. Now, I'm already getting ahead because I want to get through all this. Go back to the previous slide, Mary Lynn, if you would, please. Uh, we are standing at the Bema seat in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians, where, when Paul talks about we will all stand before the judgment seat, that's the Greek word Bema, here it is. You can see it in Greek and also in English. Uh, we're before that. It was an elevated, it was almost like a temple structure, but it was their courthouse. And that's where Paul was brought in Acts chapter 18 when the Corinthians got upset for his teaching. And uh, the scripture tells us that the governor, when he heard what this was about, that it was a religious matter, he didn't care anything about it, and in fact, uh, as a result of that court appearance, Paul gets let go. He gets to walk out of there, no, no more problems. 
they take the man who was in charge of the synagogue, Sosthenes, and the scripture says that they beat him in front of the bema, in front of the judgment seat. You'll see in front of the ladies on the left there, there is a stone column. It's about waist high. Literally, that was where they would chain a prisoner to beat them, depending on what, what the uh, decision of the court was. And so literally, they chained him to that piece of stone, and he got a beating. The Bible tells us that the, the magistrate cared nothing for these things, so they're beating this guy, and he just goes on with business. Paul walks away. Uh, so that's the bema. That, again, just a, a picture, a mental image of what we got to see. But a reminder, we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. There won't be any beatings then. Amen? Amen. Okay. In fact, not even going to talk about our sin. The Lord's just going to hear, how did we run the race for it? You're going to have a personal dialogue with the Son of God, if you know Christ, about uh, your race for Him here. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, a word of warning, you won't be at the Bema. You will be at the great white throne judgment. Uh, there will be a perfect judge seated on that throne, Jesus Christ. The books will be open, a perfect record of your life here. And if you don't let Jesus take away your sin, you're going to be accountable for all that sin. There will be a guilty verdict, and the Bible says there will be eternal judgment in a real place called hell. So as we're talking about these things this morning, if you don't know Christ, He's holding out a free gift, salvation. He paid for it with His own blood. And He says, come and be saved. But don't try to do this your way. Don't think your religious works are going to impress God. If any of that could happen, he didn't need to send his son. But he had to send his son, perfect sacrifice, the God-man to pay for your sin and mine. And so, again, the greatest lesson, the unlimited power of the gospel over spiritual darkness. Jesus had told his disciples in Matthew 5.16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The light shined into pagan Rome. Here's an artist's portrayal of Paul standing on Mars Hill. It's pretty accurate because you'll see up in the right, you'll see the Acropolis, all right, the Panth uh, Panthenon, um, Parthenon, thank you, uh, up on the right. That is literally how the city was laid out. As Paul preached there, down below, literally down below, in the Agora, there's a, there was a synagogue down there. You can walk through those areas today. That's where Paul started to teach, in the synagogue, in the Agora. He got the attention of some of the leaders, the government leaders in Athens, and they're the ones that took him up here on this big rock to hear what he had to say. And so as he preached there, okay, uh, we're going to visit this again, but he, he gave them the gospel. Folks were saved on that big rock. So let your light shine. It shined into pagan Rome. It can shine into pagan America today, if we'll but share the life-saving news. And so the message today, the power of God unto salvation. The power of God unto salvation that brought the Roman world to its knees spiritually as they surrendered to the Lord. And God can do the same thing today. Now a Bible lands trip like the one we were on opens eyes to what these early missionaries, Paul, 
Timothy, John, uh, Apollos, others, what they were up against. And it simply comes down to this, Satan's death grip on an empire. His death grip on an empire. The God of this world had brought great spiritual blindness to the Roman Empire. It really has started centuries below, before uh, with the Greeks and all of their mythology, their gods. But he used three instruments primarily to keep lost souls lost. First, he used Greek mythology, these deities. Zeus, Dionysus, Athena, Asclepius, Demeter, Apollo, uh, Artemis, or as the Romans called her, Diana. They worshipped angels in Colossae. In Paul's day, all the cities worshipped the Roman Caesars. They had gone so far as to start worshipping men. Now, was Satan behind this? Let me just give you an example. In Pergamum, they worshiped the god of healing, Asclepius. Now, here is a young version of him, an older version of him. But you'll notice over to the left a symbol that's used by medical, the medical profession today for healing. Christians tend to think, well, that's the image of Moses putting a brazen serpent, a brass serpent on a pole, and Israel, if they had been bit by serpents, could come and look at that and God would heal them. True story, but that's probably not what they're reflecting on. So Satan, who doesn't come with, up with anything original, who's the great counterfeiter, took that story, healing, and brought it into Greek mythology. Asclepius. And so he was worshipped as well in these ancient cities. Serpent on a pole. Remember Satan's choice of which creature to use in the Garden of Eden to deceive Eve? A serpent. God chose to use that serpent, I think, to embarrass and discredit Satan in Numbers 21 when they would look at that serpent that, that Moses had made. But you'll remember even later one of the kings of Judah had to destroy it. Why? Because people were worshiping that serpent instead of the God of heaven. And so, 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul reminds the Corinthians, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. And, and I believe this is one of them. We'll talk about another one uh, in just a little bit. In Revelation 2.12 and 13, and you can look there later, Pergamum was the first Roman city where Christians were martyred. By the way, as we study the churches of Revelation 2 and 3, the Lord knows His own. He knows who is martyred. He knows what the world is doing to those who, who have accepted Him by faith, who live by faith. Those to, of whom, Hebrews 11 says, of whom the world is not worthy. God knows. But there in Pergamum, on that mountain, every city had an acropolis. It was a place where the citizens could go into a fortress and hide. Pergamus, Pergamum, same name, the city was the Acropolis, all right? 
The altar of Zeus was there. And again, this reminds us of Satan's dealings. This is a model of Pergamos as it was in the apostles' day. Massive. And you'll see the temple of Zeus. I've got an arrow pointing to it. You'll notice to the left of it, there is a great theater. Keep that in your mind. We're going to talk about that theater a little bit later. But there's the temple of Zeus. Up above that are the other temples to the gods. Over on the other side of the theater is a massive library. A library that was later given to Cleopatra, the queen uh, in Egypt. But the next slide shows you down in the lower left-hand corner the temple of Zeus. And it's no longer here in Pergamos. Do you know where it's at? It's in Berlin. Do you know who moved it there? Hitler did. Piece by piece and reconstructed it in Berlin. Now here's what's interesting about the temple of Zeus. Jesus, writing to the church at Pergamos, says this, you have Satan's seat there. What is he referencing? The main god of the Greeks and the Romans, Zeus. Satan's seat. It's not just that the Lord knew Satan was active there. I believe personally Satan decided to put his throne there. And when he failed because of the gospel, years later, another character by the name of Hitler, who I believe was possessed by the devil, to wield the influence that he did, guess what he did with Satan's seat? He moved it to Berlin and reconstructed it. Remember that thousand-year Reich? Where did Satan get that? Where did Hitler get that? Because King Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years here. How long did Hitler's thousand-year reign last? A couple of years and he was done. By the hand of God, by the way. And so when we talk about Greek mythology, these deities, when we talk about Satan's uh, working in these places, it's very real. Very real. You're in Psalm 115. Would you look at verse 1? God created man to worship him. And we've had that as the theme of our worship today. But notice what the psalmist says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and for thy true sake. Wherefore shall the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heaven, uh, heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Now watch the contrast. Their idols are silver and gold. The work of men's hands, they have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their mouth or through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is every one that trusts in them. Spiritually dead, spiritually blind, that was the Roman Empire. What else did Satan use uh, in the Greco-Roman Empire to, 
to keep people in spiritual blindness. Secondly, he used impressive cities and materialism. Impressive cities and materialism. The size and beauty of these cities with their temples to their gods would wow any observer. Let me just give you a couple examples. First of all, do you know that back then they had malls too? They were called agoras. We got to spend some time in the one in Smyrna, and I'm just going to give, it, uh, give you a picture of it. You'll see on the right-hand side, it was three stories, colonnades. The picture at the bottom, you're actually looking into the side of it. There were shops all through this thing. And by the way, they had modern plumbing. When we were there, the water was still running through the plumbing. On the top to the left, you can see what is left of it. But I want you to imagine this. When you, where you see those rows of columns all the way around that massive area, there was a roof over top of all that. Down below, you can see some of us there. The others were there, but we're doing a Bible study down there. We're in the basement of the Agora. These long stretches of archway and, and these corridors. And again, when you look at the upper left-hand picture, most of it is still underground. They are still digging it out to see just how big this thing was. You could go there and shop for anything in the empire. I told Brother Palalay earlier, they did not have Frito-Lay potato chips. <laughs> Do you know Turkey today does have Frito-Lay potato chips? You can ask any of those, they racks of them, okay? They've gotten to Turkey. They may not have had Frito-Lay, but they had just about anything else you wanted. What about these theaters that we have, have mentioned, the theaters in Ephesus and Pergamum? That one that I showed you early in Pergamum set 10,000, respectively. It was built into the side of a mountain. Nearly killed some of us trying to walk through that thing. Okay. This theater in Ephesus, 24,000 could sit in there. They could hear music, orators. Okay. The covered gymnasium and the baths in Sardis, the mountain fortresses atop each Acropolis, all of these were eye-popping. The cities were a tribute to their gods and bore testimony to the alleged blessing of their gods on those cities. Now in this theater, this is where it literally happened. It's hard to see uh, over on the side there's an uh, artist rendition the fact that as Paul is preaching, the silversmiths in the city, they uh, cause an uprising because people are being saved in their business. These little statuary to the gods, their business is being hurt. And so they come down the street leading to this. They go past the, again, the what would be our mayor. They go by his his residence and where the city council met. And you can walk around in that. They go by there. They start to go into the shopping area in the city. People are wondering why is, is there all this ruckus. It builds momentum and they all pour into this theater. 
Some believers understand what's happening, the residents of Ephesus, and they grab the Apostle Paul and they must have gone into one of the side streets or into a dwelling to hide him. They, Paul wanted to go in there. This is a great preaching opportunity. They're like, no, they'll kill you. Come with us. And so they stand, I believe the scripture says, for two hours they chant in this thing, great is Diana of the Ephesians, and you could have probably heard it through the rest of the city and out into uh, the harbor of Ephesus. Finally, the mayor comes into town, he gets her into the theater, he quiets them all down, and he says, what are you all worked up about? Don't you realize that what you're doing, the Romans could send their soldiers in here and they can break this up. You don't want that to happen. Go home. Everybody goes home. It happened right here. By the way, the picture of our tour group, uh, I've placed that picture right where we were sitting in that massive uh, theater. So the agoras, the theaters... What about the actual temples? Here's something to consider. The Temple of Diana at Ephesus. There's a, a, an artist's rendition of it, but it's based on the archaeology that's there. I would love to show you a, mo a modern picture, but do you know what's left of that thing? One pillar sticking up out of the ground. Ugly as ever, okay? But it sits upon that slab where that temple sat, 450 feet long, 220 feet wide. It was almost as wide as a football field, and it was a football field and a half long. 127 columns gilded with gold, silver, beautiful paintings. The structure was sheeted with white marble and could be easily spotted by sailors on the Aegean Sea. It was historians have commented it was almost like an ancient lighthouse because you could see it from all over. This is the temple that Paul, uh, where he started to preach against the idolatry, this was the temple to Artemis or Diana. The cities and homes were also tributes to the great wealth. We went through, I wish we had time to show you the wealthy homes in Ephesus. Uh, structures that make our dwellings today look pathetic. Again, modern plumbing. They had water in those places. When the scripture says that in Ephesus Paul went house to house, we commented on it. We wonder if Paul was in some of those dwellings sharing the gospel. But the point is this. Even in these places, you had wealthy people being saved. Philemon of Colossae, Lydia of Thyatira. The Laodiceans reveal that believers in these uh, cities were also very wealthy. The fertile valleys of Asia Minor made food plentiful. And what effect did this have? Well, folks got saved out of it. But it was also a constant challenge, that affluence, for them to stay true to the Lord and to keep their eyes on heaven. Just like it is for Christians today. What does the Lord say to us? Don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If you love the world, you don't have love for the Father. There are believers who are members of Good News Baptist Church. They're not here this morning for the simple reason they love the world and the things of the world. 
say, Pastor, that's direct. Yeah, but it's true. It's true. And we all struggle with it. Did they struggle with it back then? Consider with me 2 Timothy 4.10. Even one of Paul's missionary team. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Here's a man that's mentioned earlier as being faithful and involved with Paul and the missionaries, sharing the gospel. But why did he forsake them? He loved this present world. It's a challenge to us. You've got to keep your spiritual eyes focused on heaven and the things that are eternal, not the things here which are temporal. Along with the Greek deities, impressive cities, materialism, Satan used a third thing, and that is the Jew, what I'm calling the Jewish factor. Everywhere the gospel was, uh, went, it was opposed by Jews in the city's synagogues. Paul started there because these were folks that knew the Scripture. How do you know that, Pastor? Because in every one of these synagogues, they had scrolls with the same biblical Old Testament text that you and I have in our Bible. They had the scripture. And so Paul would go to these places thinking, all right, at least they know some truth. I'll start with them and I'll show them from Moses and the prophets the gospel. You know, you can lead somebody to the Lord from the Old Testament. And that's why Paul went to these places. But in these places, it was the Jews... Many times it stirred up the Gentiles, the Greeks and the Romans, against the gospel. There was only one exception to this, where the unbelievers were more noble, reasonable in their disposition, unprejudiced when they were hearing Paul. And that's in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, where we find that those in Berea were more noble they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily. Paul would preach and they'd go to the scriptures. He would preach and they'd go to the scriptures to see whether those things were so. Now, how great was the opposition? Well, we, we ended up taking a bus ride where we left uh, Athens, drove up to Berea, and then went across to Thessalonica. You know the distance. Paul started in Thessalonica. Uh, the Jews stirred up the city. They drove Paul out. Do you know how far Paul walked to get from Thessalonica to Berea? And then he started preaching there until the Thessalonians came over and drove, helped drive him out of Berea. Do you know the distance between those two places? Paul and his team walked 50 miles. Let's just go to the next city and let's preach. 50 miles on foot. And sometimes Christians have trouble getting out at all to try to share the God. Purposing, set aside time, whether it's a Thursday night or whenever you go. How many of us would walk 50 miles to make sure somebody got to hear the gospel? We're going to come back to that. But it was the Jewish factor. Now not only had, did they reject the gospel, but these Jews also they were being overcome by the materialism that was the Roman Empire. Let me just give you an example, okay? 
this next slide will help, help you see this. The, this massive synagogue in the city of Sardis. Now once again, to the right, you'll see a gymnasium complex. This thing was massive and it had a roof over it. In the back, that was, those were where the Roman baths were, okay? Uh, Paul does make references to sports, but the problem with a gymnasium in these days, a believer wouldn't go there because they would compete without clothing. And so to anyone who feared the God of heaven, they would want to stay away from the gymnasium. Look at where the synagogue's located. They built right next to it. Can you imagine having a worship service and having the gym next door? Here's what it tells us, that the Jews in Sardis had been so influenced that they didn't mind. They had been accepted by the Romans. We'll just put church right next door in their minds. By the way, notice what's on the other side. It's the business district. Built right into the side of the synagogue was the shopping area. And then you'll see next to that, it looks like a raised uh, earthen mound. Uh, again, that is, that's happened over a couple thousand years. Underneath that was the main Roman road that ran through the city, and they've started to dig that Roman road out. But the main highway, the shopping area, the gymnasium, what's in the middle? The synagogue. And when you walk in there, there's a ceremonial place, a fountain to wash your hands. When you got inside, there was an area where they kept the scrolls. When you got to the front, there was an altar. Not where they were sacrificing, they would roll out the scrolls. And right in that place, they read the word of God. But it didn't matter or mean anything because they had amalgamated themselves right into the society. And so you have the Jewish factor. Now with all this in mind, what did the gospel do? And we'll close with this. God's saving power over the empire. Consider with me the truth of the gospel. Paul said to the Corinthians, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to anyone who believes. Well, how do they believe it's the effect of the gospel on them? You share the gospel, the Holy Spirit in you, God empowering His word. It's the word of God that penetrates that darkness and brings them to salvation. And that was every city we went. Why did we go there? Because there had been a church established there with all this stuff around that we've looked at this morning. The truth of the gospel. Paul told the Athenians, and by the way, the gospel wasn't, oh, you know, add this to your religion and let's, let's be sweet and nice. We don't want to be misunderstood. Well, I think Paul was very loving. But he told them the truth. He confronted sin. Consider this on Mars Hill. We have already referenced this. Paul gave them the gospel and he said to them there that the true God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. So look at this picture. There's that, that whole temple area. Okay. 
Notice the rock down below, that's Mars Hill. So Paul's standing on that. He's got the city officials surrounding him. And what does he say to them? Let me tell you about another nice God. No, 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 no. Let me tell you about the one true God. And by the way, this one true God, he does not dwell in temples. And I wonder at that point if Paul raised his hand and pointed to that hill. He doesn't live in temples made with hands. He's God. When he got done, some believed. A church was established in Athens. Some mocked. Others said, we'll hear you again. What an opportunity Paul had. And then I want us to consider the tenacity of the church. It's estimated that during his first and second missionary journeys, this does not include the miles that Paul sailed. Anybody want to guess? Those of you that travel, don't, you can't give us any input and help here. Anybody want to guess how many miles Paul traveled by foot? Bible scholars who have tracked the mileage tell us that Paul probably walked 10,000 miles on those trips. I already told you the space between Thessalonica and Berea. 10,000 miles. Is that commitment to the gospel? Are we that committed to the gospel? Hmm. Paul was driven any place that had not heard. He wouldn't even go to build on somebody else's foundation where they had been given the gospel. He was looking to, for places where Christ had not been named, and he's going. If we had that kind of tenacity, what, would God do? what could God do? Paul would go into a city. They beat him, throw him in jail. He's right back out on the street preaching. They'd stone him, walk away thinking, all right, he's dead. Problem solved, he'd get up, walk right back into the city. Every place he ended up, including those prisons, they became ministry opportunities. What a mindset, and that's what God used to change the empire. So much so that the testimony of the unbelieving Thessalonians was this, these that have turned the world upside down are come here, hither, or come hither also. The word is out. There's a, play, a text in, in uh, Acts, and it escapes me now, where they were also complaining, where they say not all of Asia, but almost all of Asia has heard this. It's everywhere, this teaching, these missionaries. So let's close. It's remarkable to be in these ancient cities and to realize the testimony of Acts 19.10. Paul's final stop in Ephesus continued by the space of two years so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. We do not have a power of the gospel problem today. Same gospel, same Lord. We don't have that problem. Do you know what our problem is? We've got a proclaimer problem. Jesus said the fields are white unto harvest. 
Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he'll send forth laborers. You ought to be praying for these young people going to camp this week, that God will get hold of hearts and make them laborers. But if you're going to pray that, you've got to pray for you. That you'll do what God saved you to do also. We look at America, we look at the world, and we can complain and complain about how bad it's getting, how dark it is. It's interesting you don't see that theme at all in Paul's writings. He never complains about the politicians, does he? He just witnesses to everybody he can, and that is what changed the empire. Can God change America? Sure he can. What's the answer? I'm looking at the answer. As you hold the answer in your laps. It's time the church of Jesus Christ gets serious about what we have in Christ and who we are. And then declare the gospel to whosoever will listen. Father, we can't overstate the power of the gospel. We marvel as we look at what you did in the Roman Empire. But Lord, we can look at our land and know that our history is dotted with revivals where you changed this country through the power of the gospel. The first and second great awakenings, the Wall Street revival, we could go on and on. New York City of all places. Lord, I believe you can do it again. But the church has to wake up. We can't be like the Laodiceans and lukewarm. We have to believe in the power of the gospel. And then we have to be tenacious through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, the fields are white. You want to save lost souls. All of us must do our part. Lord, would you remove the blindness, the lethargy? God, would you help us to commit ourselves to you? Lord, would you use this testimony today to motivate us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? Do a work here, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.